Hey, homie. I'm getting tired of dudes just getting over on the rasa. This is for the rasa. This is the reality dysfunction. Greetings, dysfunctionals. Dr. Ernesto here, back with our dysfunctional panel of Chicano Latino community experts to explore how the end of the primaries and Joe Biden's ascension to Democratic presidential nominee might be impacted by his sweet daddy, Barack Obama, Obama's tenuous relationship with the Latino community, and when that brother might start trash talking Trump. I voted for Obama twice, and the second time, honestly, I did it reluctantly mostly based on his refusal to provide a true pathway to citizenship for thousands of Mexicanos and others from Central America. Also back this week is me, Alex Lozada, weighing in from the East Coast. It's true, the Latinx community turned out in force for Bernie Sanders. He did the work on the ground of knocking on doors and bring us into his campaign. His progressive platform of forgetting, forgiving student loan debt, universal health care, and most likely a real pathway to U.S. citizenship for our undocumented brothers and sisters has obviously community appeal across the socioeconomic classes that make up Latinx people in the United States. I guess the question is, are we even a consideration anymore in this presidential contest? Even more importantly, have we ever been a consideration to any party for any presidential election? Hugo Gente, it's your boy Lopez from the left coast sharing some California love with you once again. Election season is again upon the land. There's a saying that states, you have to play the game to win the game, which holds true for politics. Of course, many of us Chicano Latinxers are ready to play. We sit on the sideline repeating, coach, put me in, coach, put me in. The question is, who's willing to pass the ball to us? In one corner, we have the incumbent Republicans, and in the other is the challenging Democrats. Are Latinos once again standing in limbo, having to choose between the lesser of two evils? It's clearly time. So let's get ready to rumble. So what's it going to be? Are we voting for Biden because of Obama? Or are we voting, voting for Biden because he has the, the platform that the Latino community needs to, to push uh, any sort of an agenda forward? Let's, I mean, we can say moderate agenda. Let's, let's not even, yeah, I, I wouldn't even use the words progressive or radical agenda. Which one is it? Do we love him because of his sweet daddy or do we love him because of him? <laughs> that one, right? <laughs> no, one, no one wants to claim Obama as their sweet daddy. What's going on? <laughs> Anyone? I think when I'm going to vote, I'm going to vote for Biden. And not because it's Biden or because of Barack Obama. But I think, like you said, because of the platform. I think there's more opportunity for us to to have a voice and to have some traction as essential workers, as black and brown folk here, I think that's where it's gonna be. Some of the things that are going on in terms of climate change that I see being pushed through by this administration, it's, it's worrisome. So I think for me, it'll be with going democratic. I'm right there with you, Alex. I mean, I'm not in love with Obama and his and his history. And um, you know, it was tough to vote for him the second time when it really felt like that we were voting the second time for immigration reform. Yeah. And then, 
you know, a year in, it was pretty clear that that was never going to happen in his presidency. And I get that that was partially because now he had a split Congress, but there was time to do it in the beginning of his presidency and really felt like the second, um, his second campaign really focused on our community with that promise. I was going to ask the group too, if anybody saw the Fahrenheit 9-11 movie or 11-9 movie with Michael Moore, he really went after Obama um, when it came to Flint. He showed the video of Obama drinking the Flint water. Anybody see that? Yeah. yeah, I didn't barely take a small sip. So he put, he put the glass of water to his lips and he didn't take a drink. (laughs) I don't know why he thought that would be a good idea to do with all the cameras there and whatever, but. Yeah, Barry O didn't take to take a drink. He didn't drink the water. So it's kind of like that scene from The Simpsons when uh, uh, the fish, the three-eyed fish, three-eyed fish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, he, he barely wet his lips, but he sure didn't take a drink of that. And um, uh, that's kind of like how he treated immigration reform, huh? Yeah, he barely wet his lips, but he didn't take a drink of it. Yeah. Right, and another thing they focused on in that movie was uh, the military training that they did in the city of Flint for like urban warfare. Um, It was kind of a lesser known story, but um, there's video of a lot of people took with their cell phones uh, of them doing like military operations in some of the abandoned areas of Flint. And you're talking tanks, you know, anti-aircraft guns, whatever, tomahawk choppers, you know, it's all this back and forth, basically fighting practicing what would be like urban warfare in the city of Flint. So now every time says Obama, those two things stick in my mind. Those, the, the urban warfare practicing in Flint, the him not drinking the water. Like you got to balance that against what everything Donald Trump is doing. I mean, if you're not worried about the environment, you know, all the xenophobia and all the, I mean, look at the executive orders today, um, limiting immigration. I mean, if those are our two choices, I guess I'm going to vote for Biden. I mean, I think it's interesting, you know, coronavirus isn't a big enough deal to make people stay home, but it's a big enough deal to stop people from immigrating to the United States. Uh, yeah, there's some real incongruities there, man. I know you all got some opinions about this. Hey, yeah, this is Reiner. Yeah. <laughs> I, I found that interesting uh, because, uh, you know, the immigration thing. I mean, are these H-2A workers? Are they people who are going to, quote, pick crops because you know last week's farmer report was you know crops are rotting in the fields i mean who does he think is going to fix this is he going to pull a georgia or an alabama and think that the uh folks currently not working uh and who are at home does he think that they're going to be going out there and doing field work because we've seen what happens when when those folks go out and do field work it doesn't happen yeah yeah but there's going to be an exception to that right i believe the farm Farm workers are going to be an exception. They're going to be allowed to come in, but of course, what's being asked of them is to take a lesser pay. But I yep. think they, they are included in that exception. They are. Oh, are they? Okay. Well, we we talked a little bit about that last week about how you know the the farm workers are being asked to take a, a, a lesser pay. I think that what's interesting, and I think these these things are totally connected to each other and and very much in line, is really our apparent lack of any sort of political power as a community whatsoever. I mean, we, we don't have any power within mainstream electoral politics. 
and we have no vehicle for creating political power outside of mainstream political politics. Like we are just, it's like Francisco said in the beginning, man, we're just in limbo. Like we're just waiting for other people to tell us what they're going to do to us. Right. And so I think that, you know, and it, that's the part about Obama. I ain't gonna lie. I was really emotional the first time that Barack Obama got elected to be president, you know, had a little tear in each eye. And I was just like, Oh, this is really a historic moment. And, you know, I was there with my kids and, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? Eight years later, I was like, damn, this fool blew up the whole world, like droned the whole world, didn't let nobody into the United States. I know Donald Trump ain't about shit, but I mean, the person who deported the second most amount of Mexicans is Barack Obama. <laughs> so I mean, this is like, damn, it's a close race, right? So I mean, if we're saying Donald Trump ain't shit because of the way he treats Mexicans, then, I mean, are we just not saying that Barack Obama is not shit because he's black? I mean, is that the only reason that we're not saying that? I mean, I, I don't know. Well, you know, for some of us, uh, we became citizens within the last, you know, 15 to 20 years. Right. I became a citizen in 2008, first time I've ever voted in, in any type of presidential election. I, I felt much like you, you know, I was, I was voting thought I was really participating, you know, thought this was really the, the start of something much greater. And, uh, you know, like you're saying, you know, uh, now 20, 20 some years later, you know, I'm, I'm really sitting in, you know, with a very unpleasant taste in my mouth, uh, somewhat unwilling to even honestly, a desire to participate. Luckily enough, you know, I'm, I'm in California right now. And I think, Trump or any Republican having any chance to uh, to win is, is really far-fetched uh, idea. I don't know, you know. Uh, that's why I have to put that quote in there. You got to play the game to win the game because yeah. sometimes, you know, I don't, I don't want to play no more. I, know. I mean, I've actually – oh, go ahead, Alex. Oh, no. I mean, I was going to say, too, in New York, AOC is, you know, is everywhere here, right? She's phenomenal. I love her. I think she's great, right? And I think about who's out there. It, it's her in terms of Latinos. And, and looking at such a heavy news media, right? Who is on CNN that represents us on CNN, right? You got like Van Jones and stuff. So the black community is very well represented, but I don't see our community being represented on any news medium, right? And in terms of journalists, there's like a couple. Maria Hinojosa, maybe. But if you look at any other podcast or anything that has to do with politics and Latinos, it's all Latino media. And she's like in charge of all of it. So we have like two or three people. So who else? And, and we, I mean, how do we get out there? Like you're saying, you're saying, coach, put me in, put me in. But how, how do we get there? Well, and is terrible and frightening as it may seem, our little podcast that we do once a week <laughs> may actually be one of the very few outlets that brings together a group of people, you know, with uh, education and experience in labor and all of these other things to talk about these issues. Um, yeah, absolutely. So yeah. Absolutely. I've been doing a little research and looking at what, I mean, podcasts now are inundated right? And that whole genre is just 
everybody's out doing the podcast. But really when you're looking at like social commentary experts in our field, quote unquote, right? There's really not that many. Yeah. It's this black hole. It's like, and how are we building this black hole? We got to get our lineup together and figure out how we're going to play, who's going to be in what positions, because we got to be out there on the field. So the question now, here, here's a thought that I had uh, as, as we were getting ready for this. Uh, is Biden really going to be the president or is Biden just going to be the face, you know, with Obama and the Clintons in the background, really, you know, playing the Wizard of Oz, pulling all the strings. And he's just really there, you know, just to give face. I mean, what's the difference? You don't think Joe Biden is like the same as all those people? I mean, I think he, he, he wrote, he, yeah, I mean, he wrote, he wrote the three strikes laws with the Clintons in the 90s. Like, you know, I, think oh, I, the didn't, guy, I didn't know that, did he? Yeah, he was okay. one of the, the main writers of that when it passed through Congress. So we've been putting black people in jail at high numbers for years. Yeah, it, he's it, hated, he's hated black him. people for a long time, yeah. yeah. Okay. So it was Kamala Harris. Ooh, yeah, she's something else too. Yeah, Maybe yeah. She- but to to your point, uh, Francisco, I mean, I guess how is it any different than like Donald Trump having Stephen Miller as his, you know, advisor on immigration, or um, the guy from Bitebar, what's his name, Steve Bannon? You know, I mean, they all have this little circle of people who they get advice from. Um, it's just some people's circle is a little more has a little more face recognition than other people's. So I don't know if it's necessarily in my mind different, but in the end, it's all bad. Nothing good that's probably going to come out of come out of either the Clintons uh, or like a Stephen Miller to Trump. True, and and you know what, what it reminds me of, you know, following uh, politics in Mexico. You know, in Mexico, you have what's called the PRIAN, right? It's a combination between the PRI and the PAN, which, regardless of who wins or anything, it's still you know it's still the same policies leading, you know, the neoliberal. And here in the United States, you know, I mean, are we on the same agenda, you know, where we have, what do they call it, the Republicans, right? And is that really where we are? It doesn't matter who you choose, you're getting the same policies in the end. It's just really about who's getting the bigger cut in the pie. I definitely think that's true. There was a, uh, an article that somebody sent to me on Facebook a while ago. And basically what they did was they, they broke down the way the, that the politics are enacted in the article anyways, they broke it down as a warfare welfare or welfare warfare binary. It's interesting. Some of the first, or actually the first podcast that myself and Alex Yanish, uh, who's on this call today, did for the reality dysfunction, looked at this book by this guy named Norberto Bobbio. And those podcasts are still up. People can go back and, and check them out. But it was really thinking about, you know, the significance of left and right, like the political significance of that. I think that that's kind of, you know, where we find ourselves at right now is that no matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat, you're upholding settler colonial politics, which is one easy way of explaining why it is that we are consistently disenfranchised from the political process, right? Because why would settler colonial politics allow indigenous people to have a political voice, right? I think that's, that's where we're at. We have a, a political system that's a two-headed beast. And that's not to say that sometimes things aren't easier under one than they are under the other, but 
ultimately. It, it doesn't do anything or mean anything for our own political power as a community. So, you know, getting back to Alex's point with uh, AOC, um, you know, how, how do we get those people, you know, to the forefront, you know, or, or even if they do, you know, I mean, you know, I know she, her age right now, she's under that age where she could even run or anything like that. And of course, you know, we'd like to hope for the future, but given the scenarios, you know, are they going to let her play, you know? I think with this, the, the political action group that she's part of with Justice Democrats, I think that we need to be strategic and what's our game plan, right? What are those plays that we're putting together? Not maybe for this round, but for the next. And we need to look beyond, I think, the presidency, because yes, but Congress and the Senate, right? Congress, we're good, right? We got the squad up in Congress, but who do we have in the Senate? Who's like pushing our agenda forward, right, in the Senate? And partially, well, no, mainly, this administration has been able to push through some of that, all of that legislation because of Mitch McConnell in the Senate. I think that you're right. I mean, we, we have to look beyond beyond the presidency. I mean, the, the, obviously it's, it's an important position, right? It, it may, well, it's not, it may, it's the most powerful position um, in this country. There is a time I would have said it's the most powerful position in the world, but I'm not so sure that that's true anymore. But we do need to think about that, you know, how are politics organized uh, on a local level, you know, on, in the county, in the state, yeah. I mean, all of those different things. And I think that even though we can level, I think, some well-deserved and uh, very precise analysis or critique of the current political parties, that what we really need to do as a community is, is learn or understand how party politics actually work. And really, the only way that we can do that, well, there's, I think there's two ways that we can do that. One, we can start from the ground and say, okay, we're going to create a political party and we're going to figure this out no matter what. Or we can go to the political party that we feel comfortable with and begin to see how they run in order to help us figure out a way to do that with, within our own community. But, and it's not even about like, you know, oh, we're going to, what run somebody for president or you know it's like a long time ago i was watching this interview with uh, larry king and farrakhan and larry king was like hey farrakhan are you gonna run for president and farrakhan was like oh larry king i'm so far beyond the idea of being the black manager of a white reality and i was like damn and i just <laughs> i just turned the tv off right then because i didn't even want to hear anymore i was like and that was years ago i never forgot that i mean i was like damn larry king you just got served and so it's the thing, it's, it's, and people are like, oh, you know, you're going to build a political party, you're going to do this or that, or, but, you know, you'll never be able to challenge the Democrats, you'll never be able to challenge the Republicans, but, but what if that's not the point? Mm -hmm. what, if it, what if it's not the point to challenge them at all? What if the point is, or the point has nothing to do with them whatsoever, but only to do with the way that we conceptualize our politics and the way that we want to organize our community? I mean, that's a, that's a whole different thing. Yeah. I hear what you said about the presidency being the most important or the highest power. But then I think about Dick Cheney's role under Bush, right? Like who is pulling those strings? So what you were talking about, Todd, uh, 
Has anyone seen the Party for Socialism and Liberation candidates that were, they're running? Gloria LaRiva, who's been a longtime anti-imperialist, and they're supporting Leonard Peltier for vice president. I mean, they're obviously not trying to win, but they're trying to bring that guy's name to the front of the conversation. Right. Um, and I think it also gives people the idea that there is another option that we could have. You know, they're not going to be on any of the ballots except California because they haven't got 3% in any other state. They were the largest third party, uh, third party last uh, election in California. So they're going to be on the ballot. And Gloria LaRiva has been, you know, doing stuff where Latin American and uh, Central American um, anti-imperialist work for years. I don't know. What do you all think about a candidate like that? Like, is it we got to vote for Biden or we like, is, I mean, is it really throwing a vote away? Like, what if those people got 5% of the vote, a political prisoner and someone who says, you know, that imperialism should stop, that we shouldn't be drone striking people, that people should have a fair wage, that we shouldn't be putting people in prison, we shouldn't be deporting people. Like, I don't, I don't know. What do you all think of that? I, I think definitely it's one way to uh, give them an opportunity and maybe even present a light of hope. Uh, last election, you know, it was Hillary... It was Hillary or Trump. I went with Bernie, you know. And this year again, hey, now you just gave me a candidate, you know. Somebody, I'm going to research and come time, time for me to cast my vote. It just may be going that way. I, I mean, I also heard the Green Party, they haven't announced a Green Party candidate, but the person they're saying that is uh, the front runner for it. I mean, he was doing work with the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee back in the 60s. And he, he calls himself a socialist. So I, th I think there's other options out there. I personally don't want to support Joe Biden. I was just wondering what other people thought. So I just have a question for that. So let's say we don't support Joe Biden. Are we okay with another with Trump for another four years? Is it to make a difference to us? I don't necessarily see voting for a third party as a wasted vote. I, I, I don't. And I have voted third party not very often, but, but I have done it. I think, you know, with the way that politics are changing, I think that they're changing because, and, and we'll see, you know, how much of this sticks, but I think that the, the crisis that capitalism itself is entering as a result of, you know, the shutdowns that are happening all over the world, I think will we'll make opportunities for third parties a lot more real. I think the only political, the only other party that's on the ballot in um, Arizona for president is the Green Party. But I'm, I'm going to be real honest with you. I'm not going to vote Green Party this year. I mean, mostly because I am not okay with Donald Trump being president for another four years. I'm also not really okay with Joe Biden being president either. It's, it's like Francisco said at the very beginning, you know, we had this opportunity, I think, when Bernie Sanders was running to actually have a choice, not between the lesser of two evils, but between two completely different ways of, of framing economics and social responsibility in the United States. And, you know, it is clear to me that we fucked that up. So, you know, we're back to the, to the old lesser of two evils type of thing. I guess that's how I would answer that question. I, th I think from both of you guys, I, th I think that mm -hmm. they're really good questions. I think they're super hard questions to figure out also too. Do people are people looking at us as a block, right? So when people are looking, they're looking at the black vote or the white vote. Or are we even considered a block as contenders? 
Okay, before anybody answers that, I just want to welcome uh, Magda from San Antonio to the conversation. Thank you. How you doing, Magda? Good, good, thanks. Thanks so much. I, I got I had a meeting that was canceled, so I'm so glad to be with you all. Nice haircut, dude. <laughs> We're going to talk more about that later. <laughs> I'm getting, give me a little teardrop right there. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh -huh. I want to see a neck tattoo right here. A yeah, neck tattoo, yeah. <laughs> it says mom on it. Yeah. <laughs> He's digging a tunnel in Arizona. Lisa's yeah. <laughs> doing something. So, Magda, just to recap real quick, uh, we're uh, talking about um, Biden, Obama, and Trump. A little bit about you know who we're voting for. Not necessarily who we're voting for, but like as a community, is Obama a liability because of? his track record with the Latino community, that type of thing. Alex, it, well, we have two Alexes on. Alex uh, Y had uh, just asked, I think, a very good question that was really sort of challenging the two-party narrative. And um, um, go ahead, Renner. I was just going to say, as the, uh, the union president, I think that because Alex uh, Lozada has seniority, uh, the other guy should just be Yanish. <laughs> okay, Yanish. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Or as as I call as I call him Bubba. So Bubba. Yeah, Bubba. Yeah. No, that's what I call my cat. That's what our siblings call each other. It started as an insult and now we love it. Now we're all calling call each other Bubba. Yeah, call each other Bubba. Yeah. yeah. Wow, there you go. So anyways, just to kind of jump back into the conversation, anybody want to pick up from there? Can I, I actually oh Go ahead, Magda. Okay, thank you. I was going to say, I talk, caught the tail end of what Alex was saying. Um, are we even viewed as a block? I think people throw us around, you know, gente, raza, whatever you want, whatever title you want to use, whatever label. But we all know that we're so fragmented. If you haven't seen the show Vida on Stars, you need to watch it because it's like the perfect, perfect scenario of all the different groups, factions within the Latino vote, if you will. So you have the Republicans, you have the conservatives, you have the Chicanos, right? And so we're also fragmented, but we should, you know, I'm hoping that one of the outcomes of this forum is that we can grow that and we can create something of our own so that we can have a political voice. I'm just saying, Todd, you should be our spokesperson. That's just my vote. And I do think that- oh, That's okay, I'm good. No. <laughs> I'm just saying. Like, I have a very quiet and simple life. I really have come to enjoy that so much. <laughs> yeah, I was saying no pressure. But I do think that Obama has a terrible track record with our population because of what he did and what he started with immigrants. And, and I understand he did, he did us no favors, right? So that, that's my two cents. I, I just want to say, I don't want to pull the conversation in a completely different way, but if you have not seen Vita, you need to watch Vita. Amen. Amen, brother. Whatever, they, whatever they thought they were trying to do with Hentified, it does not compare to that Agreed. show. I, I mean. Agree. It blows Hentified. I mean, Hentified is, it's, they're not even it's playing cute. the same game, man. It's cute. That's Agreed. Right. It's cute. Yeah. They're, right. they're not even playing the same game. I mean, it is good. I, I right. couldn't. And it's because of the writer, Tanya Saracha. Like, 
so amazing. A woman just saying, but also like she nails it. I agree with you. So many issues, so many amazing. I got stars just to watch it. And I met the cast in DC in September oh, and it was lucky. phenomenal. They were so phenomenal. It was the CHCI conference, which we all need to be at next year if there is a conference but it was a coming together of entertainment, politics, corporate. It was a beautiful mix of people. And I met Melissa Barrera. She's the one, she, she's the one who plays Lynn. And several of the stars were there, but at the time I didn't know who it was. And I've been thinking about her lately. I'm like, I gotta watch that show. And she's like, dude, it's eight bucks a month. And I got it. And it is just, I, it's so good. I'm on season two. Anyways, all right, back to, uh, back to these guys. We should do a Vita um, cast, one of these Yes. Times. Yes. Uh, I, I think, um, you know, Alex, you were talking about uh, Ocasio-Cortez. Um, mm -hmm. I think, you know, I don't know if y'all have seen the documentary about her being able to win the election and the grassroots organizing she did. And, uh, it's, the on one that's on, it's the one on Netflix? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, her and a lot of women all over the country were elected that year. Um, I know here in Colorado, a number of people have been elected for to city council. And I think um, Ocasio-Cortez, you know, couldn't have done that without like the rise of like the Democratic Socialists of America. Mm -hmm. um, and it's definitely like pushing the Democratic Party in a, a left way. And I'm just kind of you know, the topic of this conversation, my understanding is like with a block of like Latino, Chicano, indigenous people, voters, like building their own thing. Does it need to be like a party like La Raza Unida or does it need to, you know, can it be something, you know, that pushes it like the Democratic Socialists of America where it's not necessarily a party that runs candidates, but, you know, there's Ocasio-Cortez uh, here in Denver, uh, my city councilwoman, you know, she's a strong Latina woman, you know, she's a DSA member. As, as far as like different party building, like what, what does that look like? I mean, Magda, you were saying that like there should be a, a block for these kind of things. I think what we have right now is not working for us. You know, having, I'm constantly seeing the same woman on TV, Ana Navarro, who is, she, which is fine, right? But she's a Republican. She doesn't represent me. She wasn't born here. She, you know, so whatever there is today, we need to create, I think a new organization needs to happen with representation or spokespeople that really represent more than one faction of, of the subset. I had brought up before like the squad, right? So you have AOC here in New York, you know, you have Elon Mohar in Minnesota, there's Rashida Tlaib in Michigan, mm -hmm. Ayanna Presley in Massachusetts. And those are like phenomenal women who are really pushing, mm -hmm. the, like Alex was saying, the Democratic Party in a much more progressive light. You know, mm -hmm. they all sit in Congress, but we need to expand this into the Senate as well, right? And yeah, that's... And I mean, I think part of that, Janusz, to like answer that question, I mean, is to really look at organizations that already exist, you know, like LACLA, Latin American, you know, Council for Labor Advancement, caucuses that exist within the political parties. I mean, does it have to be a party? I don't think it necessarily has to be a political party. But it has to be a little bit more organized than our podcast, right? There has to be, there has to be something substantial to it. And I think that the other thing is, is that the population, like our population, like the Chicago Latino population, has reached uh, a sort of a critical mass in terms of actually being able to influence or impact uh, policy and law. I mean, that's certainly true in 
California. I think it's certainly true in, in Texas, you know, in, in, in other places, right? Or a city like Chicago, you know, where there's over a million Mexicans that live in, in the city of Chicago, Mexicans and Puerto Ricans. Is there enough there to, you know, to take over politically? No. Is there enough there that they should be paid attention to when decisions are being made? Yeah, absolutely. Right. And so I think that it, it sort of speaks to that inability on the part of our community to, I think, conceive of ourselves as politically powerful. And I think that that's, that's a large part of what it, uh, what it is. It isn't that other people don't see the potential in our community. It's that we don't see the potential ourselves. And as a result, you know, when people start having conversations like the one we're having right now, I mean, they're you know, intensely ridiculed for you know, saying anything like, oh, we should form a political party or we should figure out a way to you know, organize ourselves. I mean, we're, they're just ridiculed. I, I was going to say we're ridiculed because I'm part of that group that gets ridiculed, but that's what happens, right? And it's really funny is that that even happens from people who pretty much agree with you 100%. I got an email last night from a guy who I actually really respect. And I would have to say that like 99% of his email, I was like, yeah, right? But then you get down to the part of the political party and he's just like, it's a pipe dream. It's never going to happen. Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I'm like, okay. I mean, what do you do when somebody says something and you agree with 99% of it and 1% of it, you don't? It's not a reason to end your relationship with them, but that's kind of where it's at. And there's a wall, there's a wall there, right? Where whenever people are vehemently opposed to something, they are married to some sort of idea in their head as to what the obstacle is. So you have to dig deep to answer your question, Todd. You have to, you have to dig deep and say, why specifically is it that you think that this is impossible? What specific examples or things do you perceive as roadblocks? Because those are the things that you need to, that we all need to dissect and get apart. So is the question then maybe not to look at the presidential campaign and maybe that's a little bit already decided and, you know, like Yanish was saying, you know, looking at some of those other smaller yet crucial races, you know, in Texas, you know, uh, I know uh, it's going to be huge what happens in Texas this year, right? What the numbers reveal. I think it was Pennsylvania too. Pennsylvania is another state where Latinos can definitely play a major deciding role. So maybe the question is how do those of us who are not in those states, how can we support that, you know? And of course, one of the first ways you think of supporting political candidates is monetarily. How do we do that, you know? Do we do the million dollar march, you know, getting back to that idea, the million dollar march where everybody contributes a dollar or five dollars, we collect that pot and we're able to pr provide some economic support and hopefully show some flexibility, some muscular flexibility, right? Yeah, this is uh, Reiner again. Um, I think I think we don't have the uh, distribution in numbers, you know, to, what, for, to go back to what Todd was saying, to even even to affect very many Senate races. I mean, because that's the way the Senate's designed. It's designed to give places like Wyoming two senators, you know, or Montana. 400,000 people have two senators. I mean, give me a break. But still, you know, that's a lot of land, empty land that's well represented by, by the Senate. Yeah. So, you know, we just don't have the people there. So I think we do have to kind of, uh, quote, laser focus or focus our our money, our, our influence, what little influence we have, our, our votes, 
we need to vote, you know, or to, to focus those on where we're concentrated. You know, we can, we can pick up a lot of representative seats. We can pick up city council seats. We can pick up, you know, state diff in different areas. We can pick up significant blocks in certain state legislatures, but you know, right now we just don't have the, the distribution and juice to, to, I don't think to get, I mean, we can, we can elect maybe a Senate, Senator here or there, but as far as, you know, anything of significance in the Senate, I don't think we have the, the distribution simply because of the way that system is set up. I do think that all of you bring up good points in terms of like getting money together and we can, I, you know, love the idea of the marches and the demonstrations and certainly gathering money is always helpful. But one thing I've noticed is with all the races, even the ones, you know, here in Texas, and I am in Texas, is that nobody seems to do like a point by point description of where each candidate stands on the issues. And I think therein lies a, a huge opportunity to say, okay, candidate A and candidate B, here are all the issues that are important to our community. So to me, it's like immigration, healthcare, education, poverty, housing, you know, those are the things that are super important to me. And then I want to know, like, I think this is where we could come in. Okay, everyone takes one topic. Okay, Francisco, you do education. Magda, you do X, Y, Z. And then I think we need to come together and say, we need to start, we need to start sharing this information online and start getting to the nitty gritty because most people don't take the time to research the candidates and most people don't have time. So I think if we could do some of that and share it in whatever ways you think are, are helpful, whether it's social media or wherever, wherever you hang out, whatever, in person or online, we need to start doing some of that too. Yeah, that's a great idea. You know, uh, it's clearly social, social media has played such a major part in elections, not just, you know, here, but in other parts of the world, you know, and, mm -hmm. and yeah, I think we were talking about this before, you know, how much uh, Latinos nowadays depend on social media for their news and any type of public service announcement, that gathering flyer that can be there and, you know, do some of that work, you know, send out a hook to get somebody involved is a major step. Yeah. I agree. I want to apologize for being called away. Uh, so a couple of times I had to deal with stuff that came up. Um, I, I just want to say that, uh, as you can tell, I've been voting for um, about 60 years, you know, and um, I've always voted Democrat. I always will. I see no reason to change now. To me, the, uh, it's less a matter of candidates as it is uh, ideology. Right now, the Democrats have the best concept or ideas together, as well as people that are going to push for those ideas. You mentioned AOC and Sandy and so forth. So. By and large, uh, we're going to be around uh, longer, well, not me, but uh, most of you here, a lot longer. And so that you have to, you have to create a situation where, where we have majorities, we really take advantage of them. When we don't, we use the minority status to do it and, and move from there because we're going to be the ones who, you know, 30, 20, 30 years, we're going to be the ones dealing with China and Russia. Our people will uh, at some point will become the majority. So we have to prepare for that. That's all we have for now. We want to thank our panel of dysfunctional Chicano and Latino experts for coming together on a weekly basis to provide a much needed analysis of the current Chicano Latino situation. 
If you're listening and you're interested in being a part of this panel, hit me up on Twitter at Ernesto Morales. Check out my webpage at waroftheflea.org. I'm always looking for strong opinions for the La Chicanada blog. Until next time, stay at home, stay safe, wash your hands, and we'll see you. Hey, homie, I'm getting tired of dudes just getting over on the raza. This is for the raza. This is the reality dysfunction.